0: All right. Anybody else experienced a, a lack of peace this morning? Things have been a little bit less than peaceful? I mean, that that's the theme of the fourth Sunday of Advent, and you'll notice uh, my wife is not here because my son had a, an extreme lack of peace this morning. Uh, he has been a terror, uh, so she's not even able to bring him because he's just been so worked up. And I know uh, I saw a parent out in the foyer already this morning with another child who was struggling with peace. Uh, So let me just pray because I just think there's something against this peace that God wants here. So let 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 me just do that this morning. Lord, I thank you that you bring us peace. And as we're going to talk about this morning, we know uh, this is such an important aspect to our lives as Christians because this is one of the things that can set us apart from unbelievers so drastically is the amount of peace we have regarding our life, especially in the midst of circumstances that would otherwise uh, rob us of peace, Lord, because uh, when we have that eternal perspective, we have a, a different mindset To our life. And so, Lord, this morning, uh, whatever is trying to come against the peace that you are trying to bring here and the message you have for us about peace, Lord, we just pray against that in the name of Jesus Christ. We ask that you would cast that out and that you would allow your peace to reign in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, just about every Christmas, we read from the book of Luke. Good. Okay. Some of you have been to Christmas before. Yes, if you're not familiar, uh, Luke is generally what we read from. Luke chapter 2, We, uh, you know, you're starting right there in verse 1. A lot of, a lot of, if you haven't already read through that story this Christmas, uh, I'm sure it will come at some point. If it doesn't, make it happen um, because I am completely against this idea that at, at some point Scripture becomes boring. Uh, man, that, that story should excite you more every year you read it. Because the closer we get to Jesus, the more we appreciate it, the more we find it so fascinating. Uh, I don't know about you, but the more I realize how messed up I am, the more amazing it is to me that He would send His Son to this earth for me uh, and for our sins. And so every year, it just gets more exciting for me. But we read that. Ken and Bev, they just read a portion of that uh, for our Advent reading. And uh, we're going to read it again one more time, focusing uh, specifically on on one verse, verse 14, and we're just going to kind of pick it up in verse 8. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation if you're following along. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angels reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, I want to focus in a little on verse 14 there. It says, peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, I I want to just highlight, if you've never Taken the opportunity to study this portion of scripture around Christmas time, Uh, do it this year. Make this week about studying this portion of scripture. There's so much here, but I just think it's interesting that these shepherds are just kind of doing their thing in the field. And uh, first off, an angel shows up and begins to talk to them. And I just I love that so often, more often than not, when an angel appears in the Bible, what are the what are the first couple words that they have to say don't be afraid which always makes me laugh because growing up angels were always these like really like feminine guys in their bathrobes with these like pretty little wings and that is definitely not the picture you get from scripture considering that even these battle-hardened people in the bible when an angel shows up they hit the ground and they they fear for their life and so their first words almost always are don't be afraid so like they're used to this and Then, who joins this angel? Now, one angel terrifies these shepherds, and then what shows up? It says a host of heaven's armies shows up. Now there, I don't even know what's going through their mind, but I just think it's interesting to note, if you've never noticed this, what does the army of the Lord proclaim? Peace. Peace. Now, normally you wouldn't think that's the goal of an army. An army's goal is to do battle. But they come proclaiming peace. I just think it's an interesting point to note as we look at this. Sometimes you've got to fight for peace, and it's the, the armies of heaven that show up to these angels and proclaim peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, that sounds really nice, right? Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. What does it mean, though? Do we even understand what it means to say peace on earth? Uh, uh, one of the things that Jack and I do, I've told you this before, uh, when we're especially at restaurants, uh, when we sit down to eat, one of the things that's just natural for us is to say, hey, what's your name to our server? And to say, hey, we're going to pray for our meal. Is there anything we can pray for uh, for you or on your behalf? And um, s- Sometimes, you know, you can tell they don't really... They don't think what we're doing is worth their time, and so sometimes they'll just be like, oh, I don't know, peace on earth. We've heard that a handful of times, like, you know, just peace on earth. Do we even understand what that means? What does it mean, peace on earth? Have you ever thought about that? What would peace on earth look like? Does that mean that our lives will be worry and stress-free? No, I don't think that's what peace on earth means. Does it mean that everyone will like us and that we'll have peace and everything will be easy in all of our relationships? Is that what these angels were saying? No, I don't think so. Does it mean that there won't be any more wars? Well, obviously not, because since the time those angels showed up till now, there have been a lot of wars. Furthermore, what does it mean that this peace is for those with whom God is pleased? We kind of glaze right over that portion. We just see peace on earth to all men. Oh, that sounds great. With whom God is pleased. Is God pleased with the whole world? I'm not even happy with what I'm looking at. God, who is perfect holiness, I'm sure, isn't looking at the world and thinking, doing a good job out there. You can't even figure out how many genders there are. Good job. Is God pleased with all Christians? Not all the ones I've met. I've met a few that I don't think God's very pleased with the way they treat other people and the way that uh, that they act. Um, not certainly not all people who claim the name of Christian. So what in the world does it mean that there will be peace on earth for all those with whom God is pleased? We read this every Christmas. You've even people who don't believe in God hear this often at Christmas time, and could probably even quote some of it. If you started this verse, I bet some people who don't even go to church could finish it, because we hear it so often, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to have even a a good church-going person be able to explain to you, what does this mean? What does it mean that there will be peace on earth to all those with whom God is pleased? I don't think it means that if God's pleased with you, that everything's going to go well for you. I don't think that's what this is saying. And I think if we look just at the evidence in the Scripture, that certainly isn't the case. So what does it mean? Now, this is, isn't even the only place that God promises peace in the Scriptures. It's, it, if you go through the Scripture, if you, again, if you like studying like me, uh, I love to study things, uh, just do a, a quick study, a Google search even, on peace in the Bible. How many times peace is? You'll see it all through. Scriptures like Psalm 29, verse 10 to 11 says, The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses them with peace. Now, this is long before Jesus came to the earth. So, peace wasn't just because Jesus came. There's a peace that God offers. Even in the Old Testament, he was offering peace. Uh, There is peace found all through Scripture. But I bet they hear this. You, you know, this is part of Scripture. This is Luke's account of this uh, occurrence. I'm sure the shepherds repeated the words of this angel uh, to as many people as would listen. We, we hear that they just went and started telling everybody what they saw and what they heard. And so, I'm sure many people heard of this. And so, I just wonder, did the early Christians struggle with this idea of peace? because they know the angel said, peace on earth to all men with whom God is pleased. I bet the early Christians wondered about that peace as they were thrown into the Colosseum to be killed by lions, as they were tortured, burned alive, and hung on crosses. Some of these men were apostles, people who took the Scripture, started churches. I think we could look at them and say, I think God was pretty pleased with their work. I think God was pleased with these people so where's this peace? Was the angel wrong? Was the angel lying? Was he just making stuff up as he talked to the shepherds? Because, man, their life was anything but peaceful. Do a study on the, the, the apostles and how each of them died, and it's pretty shocking to see how each of the people who walked with Jesus died. To me, it's one of the great evidences of the faith, because if they knew that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. If they they knew the whole thing was a hoax, and why would they go through what they went through? These were not like brave men. These were fishermen and tax collectors and not high society people. And they all, almost all of them, died horrible deaths for Jesus. So where's the peace? Maybe they thought back to Jesus' words and they realized The peace being talked about wasn't that of easy living and comfort. John chapter 16, verses 32 to 33. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone, yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you all this, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Okay, so this is giving us a little bit more insight. So the peace that God brings doesn't mean a complete removal of trials and sorrows. And there's just these two verses where Jesus is speaking. He's saying, yeah, you can have peace in me and don't confuse that with this world. Because in this world, you're going to have trials, you're going to have sorrows, things might be rough. And so Jesus was very clear. The peace he was offering is not this idea of peace that our culture has as a whole. Because when you hear whatever it is, like a beauty pageant or somebody talking about like, world peace, like, what they intend is that magically everything would be perfect and there wouldn't be hunger and everybody would get along and there wouldn't be any more wars and everything would be easy. That's not the peace Jesus is talking about. He makes that clear to his disciples. Don't think that if you follow me, that's going to get you out of the tough stuff of this world. As a matter of fact, he lets them in on a little secret. Following him is actually probably going to make it worse. You're actually, he actually promises them the opposite of the kind of peace the world has to offer. 2 Timothy 3.12 it says, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, this is interesting because uh, this new Christianity that people want to push on uh, through our culture, it, it basically says we can't offend anybody. If we say anything that offends anybody, then that's, that, that can't be Jesus. Or if, or if people, your, your coworkers look down on you or if they're rough on you, then, then I, don't know, I don't know what that is. Yeah, if we want to live a godly life, it's going to look different. We're going to get ridiculed. People are going to hate that. This is what Jesus is telling us. That to live the way God calls us to is offensive to some people because they want to be comfortable doing whatever they want. And when we live to a standard that is higher, that is absolute, that is beyond this world, it rubs people the wrong way. We need to be accepting. We need to understand that's just how it's going to be. Now, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, Pastor, I know all about persecution. I work in retail or, I, you know, I, I, I know all about it. Well, let's look at that for a second. Uh, I'm going to show you a graph in just a second. It comes from Sky Jathani in his book, What If Jesus Was Serious? Uh, and this gives us a better idea of our idea of persecution. Now, you see at the top this nice blue line. Um, on the left of this graph, you see the treatment of Christians at the top is better, at the bottom is worse. And as you go to the right is the time uh, period. And you'll see at the top is privileged, then preferred, then permitted, and then persecuted. Global Christianity, you see, is the orange line on the bottom. That's where a lot of people, a little bit of what we were talking about earlier during our missions moment, this is where many of the Christians in the world exist, and we exist on this nice blue line, very high at the top there. And yes, in recent years, we've lost some of our privileges, but as you can see here, 250 million Christians experience high, very high, or severe persecution, and this is saying 2016, the worst year on record. See, there's this idea that uh, back in Jesus' time or back in you know, early, early Christian time was the worst time for persecution. And the reality is this year will probably be the worst year ever for persecution because every year has been the worst year. Uh, it just keeps getting worse. More Christians are dying for their faith than ever before. I don't know if you knew that. A little fact for you persecution has only gotten worse as time has gone on. The amount of people who die for their faith in Jesus has increased significantly since early times and we can think well that's not true. Why? Because we exist in the privileged part. We've lost some of our privileges becoming being a Christian still isn't dangerous. We call it dangerous, but it's not here in the US. How many of you, I know a lot of people in here are parents. How many of you would be excited if your kid said, I feel like God is calling me to be a missionary in a country where if they find out I'm a Christian, I'm going to get killed. Probably not a lot of us. That's pretty scary, as a matter of fact. Thinking that my children could say that one day, I'd have a lot of anxiety. There are some parents here in the room who have sent their children places where that's somewhat true and can be very dangerous. There are some that in our church that have served in places or that they could just disappear, and we would just never know anything about them. That's where they serve. And in the alliance, which if you didn't know, we're part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, that's where the majority of our focus is now, on what we call creative access countries. We call it creative access because you have to be creative to get access to that country. You can't just say, hey, I'm here to tell everybody about Jesus, because they'll say, no thanks, you're not allowed in our country, ever, and you'll get blacklisted. And so we go in in different ways, in creative ways, to be the light of the gospel in these places where you're not allowed to talk about Jesus. And what they mean is, no, you don't just get a little fine, you die or you disappear. We don't experience that in our country. That's not here. No matter what people say, I can literally say whatever I want from this pulpit and I don't have to worry about it. That's not persecution. So help us understand. We actually experience much more peace as Christians, as far as the world is concerned, as Christians here in America, than almost any other country in the world. We have it pretty good. So, as we navigate the extraordinarily light persecution we may experience, hopefully we find it easy to resonate with scriptures like John fourteen twenty seven. I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Now this again is interesting because we look at peace, If we're, that's the topic of the day is peace, and we look at this and Jesus is being very clear. The world can't offer the peace he's talking about. So no matter how many programs, no, no matter how great we think the government might be, uh, it's never going to create the type of peace that Jesus is talking about. And if you read your Bibles uh, and you actually do some studying on it, uh, that's going to be the goal of this world, is they're going to try to move at one point toward a one-world government, and they're going to try to unify everything, and and that's what they say they're going for is this world peace idea. And the Bible is clear. They're just getting closer to the end when that happens. Their goal is to try to create peace on this earth. It's never going to happen. Even the kind of peace they could offer, it's never going to happen. And Jesus is saying, no, my peace it's so far beyond that peace. Having it comfortable and easy, that's not peace. There's a greater peace to be had. Now, that whole graph in this conversation, it's not meant to downplay the difficulties, the stresses, the anxieties of life. We may not have it as bad as far as persecution is concerned uh, in the early church or in other places in this world, but The enemy still wants your soul just as much as he wants theirs. He doesn't want you serving Jesus. He's your enemy just as much as he's the enemy of anybody in these persecuted countries. There are so many things which seek to rob us of the good news of peace that God has for us. Because if you're a believer in Jesus, there's a good news of peace that he's offering. I do believe that God wants peace for us. I don't believe that it's the Lord's goal to give us unpeaceful lives. That's not what he was saying either. When he says that you'll have persecutions and that you'll have trials and you'll have anxieties, he's not saying that you won't have peace. He's saying you will have peace. It doesn't look like this, though. Not the kind of peace the world is after or the world can offer. As Jesus said in in the passage from John, it's a peace that transcends peace. Our current circumstances. It's a piece that looks beyond what's currently happening. Now, I don't watch sports ever, but analogies usually come to me in sports because I played sports a lot. Uh, I like team sports, I think they're uh, important. But I remember I went to a town where football was its own God and practice. Now, legally, we didn't practice all year, we just practiced in secret for the months that you weren't allowed to practice uh, as a team. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get anybody in trouble by saying that, but uh, so that that was kind of what we did uh, in football, and I remember some of our practices were absolute murder. They were horrible, and I remember thinking, this is terrible, but I had a different perspective. I knew that the suffering and the throwing up in the weeds every, you know, mile or so of the running and, and jumping and crawling and everything that we were doing was for a greater purpose, that uh, eventually, the season would start, and we would be the best team on the field. and And the goal was to continue being undefeated as as uh, our football team. And so well, I put up with the stuff. I put up with the practices. I put up with the uh, the, the conditioning and the the late night practices and all of that stuff. Why? Because I want. I, I I had a future perspective, and that's a lot of what Jesus is talking about. Yes, you're going to experience some hardship. I. Don't think there was anybody on the team, my football team, that thought, this is fun. I enjoy this. I like throwing up in the weeds. Uh, None of us thought that, yet all of us were thrown up in the weeds. You know, I don't think anybody got through that without throwing up. Nobody enjoyed that part of it. But man, after a Friday night, after we crushed another team who didn't even score a touchdown on us, it felt pretty good. It felt pretty good to be the best team in our conference. And man, heaven... And what God offers is so much better than any sport can offer, than, than anything this world can offer. And so, just like any good coach will tell you, you have to put up with this to achieve this, Jesus is saying, yeah, there's going to be a lot of rough stuff here. But what he offers, it's called eternity, which, trust me, you cannot wrap your mind around <laughs> You can sit and you can think about it and you can ponder it all you want, but there's no way for us to ponder, to, to even fathom eternity. And one day we'll step into eternity. And the peace that He offers is one that transcends that. Isaiah 26:3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. The peace we're discussing today is one which only comes if our hearts and minds are focused on Christ. It can't come any other way. There's no way to get that peace unless our hearts and our minds are focused on Christ. And if you're somebody who struggles with peace, who you have a very anxious spirit and and you find the, the cares and the worries of this world constantly seeking to destroy you and ruin your life, this should be a warning signal. I need to get my eyes and my mind and my heart focused on Christ. When our thoughts are focused on comfort and our prosperity or our preferences and things start to go wrong in those areas, we experience a lack of peace. That's what happens. And that is true of even many Christians. We have an eternal perspective only to a small degree. We know that one day when we die, we'll go to heaven. But then we look at our today, and we get anxiety, and we get stressed, and we get worried about it. And we forget every day is supposed to be lived with this eternal perspective. Knowing something greater is coming. And so we endure everything the enemy throws at us in this life because it is all worth it. Romans 8, 6 says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. If we allow our flesh to control our thoughts, if we allow it to get super anxious and worried and and, and fretful about what's happening today and what's going on in our life, and as we turn on the news and we see what's going on in our world and and we see what's going on in our country and we see what's going on in our state and we look at all the stuff and we start to get anxious, it's because we're letting our sinful nature control our thoughts. We're letting it get worried because it thinks our sinful nature we're going we're to suffer a lack of comfort. We're going to su- suffer a lack of, of worldly pleasures and worldly privileges and worldly whatever. And so we get anxious. And we should allow our spirit to say, shut up, sinful nature. This is all worth it. Whatever we have to do to take the good news of Jesus to those who have bad news is worth it. Because one day we'll step into eternity. There are so many people who struggle, and we even talked about it this morning as elders. Uh, so many people who struggle with the goodness of God because of what they see happen in this life. And I've, I've talked to many people who they deal with that in reference to a death of somebody they love. And it's like, man, if you only could have an eternal perspective to this. I mean, yes, death is bad, and, and that doesn't mean that we shouldn't mourn and we shouldn't, you know, that, that shouldn't bother us when, when death happens. But at the same time, think about yourself like, 17 million years into eternity, and you think about, hey, remember that one time when you died? Yeah, wow, okay. It'll mean so little to us. That person that you've lost, and I know some of you are, are going to be celebrating Christmas for the first time without a loved one, and it should hurt. That's because we're mortal, and it's okay. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian or you don't have an eternal perspective if you mourn and if you hurt because of these things but a couple million years into eternity with that person that you're missing now and you'll realize, man, that life was so short. That short period of time that I missed you is so small compared to eternity. And so even in the midst of mourning and suffering and and hurting, we can find comfort with an eternal perspective. We can find peace. The peace that God offers is the peace of knowing that despite what might be happening in the right now, it doesn't ignore what's happening right now. Uh, The disciples, Paul, when he was in prison and he was being beaten and when he suffered all these hardships, he didn't ignore the hardships. He just knew that despite what's happening right now, everything is going to be okay. And the way they defined okay was so different from the way some of us define okay. Like, it's not gonna be okay if I can't pay my bills next month. It's not gonna be okay if I don't get what I want. It's not going to be okay if Jesus doesn't do what I tell him he has to do. And to say, you know what, all of this stuff is not going to matter one day. Maybe not with our current situation, things aren't going to work out. But one day we'll enter eternity, and all the cares and the worries that bring us stress and anxiety on this side of heaven will be no more. There will be only a memory. That's what Paul means later in Romans 8 when he says in verse 28, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. So often I hear this verse being used to convince people that God wants their life to be easy and comfortable. Whenever someone's uh, suffering hardship in this life, I've heard people quote this verse, oh, don't worry, God works everything together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And we manipulate the Scripture to make it seem like God is saying, hey, whatever your hardship is right now, it, it's all going to work out good. Don't worry. That, that, that payday's coming. You'll get that job. That, that relationship's going to work out. Every, your kid's going to suddenly, magically be so obedient. It's, it's all going to work out. You just follow Jesus and everything will be easy. We incorrectly use it to tell people whatever trouble they're experiencing, God will make it all better because that's God's goal is to make your life comfortable. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to be happy and comfortable and, and smiling and lazy. That's not true. That's certainly not the God of the Bible. That's the God of our culture. That's the God we want. We create this vending machine God and say, well, whatever I ask then, you have to give me. the Bible says that you give good things to your children, so you'll just give me whatever I want. There are a lot of people who have walked away from God because they were taught that God makes everything work out for their benefit, for their prosperity on this side of heaven. And then they experience hardship. They experience a life-altering event, and they think God's a liar because we have lied for Him to people. We've used his word to create false gods. And when those false gods fail them, they look to the real God and say, you, you, you must be a liar. Either you're a liar or you lack power or you're just not as good as you say you are. Instead of realizing that the peace that God offers, it's not about making this life more comfortable. Anybody here who would rather have a more comfortable life here in a less secure eternity? I didn't think so. I think if given the option, if we were to say, well, you can have a more comfortable life here, but there's no guarantee on heaven, I think we'd all say, all right, you know what? This isn't so bad anymore. All of a sudden, what I'm going through doesn't seem so bad because eternity is a long time. It's like literally forever. So I think if given that option, we'd say, okay, I'll deal with a little bit of difficulty. Now, uh, to use uh, an analogy that maybe only... the moms in the room can relate to. And now if you were given the option and said, well, you can have an absolutely horrendous pregnancy for nine months, but your kid is going to be an absolute angel for the rest of their life. How many of you moms would put up with a little bit of rough stuff for nine months to make sure that your kid didn't act like my kid's acting like this morning? Yeah, we all would do that. Why? If we just had to cram a lot of hurt into a very short period of time for a lot of good stuff, that's literally what Jesus is offering us. Gonna cram a bunch of hard life into this life and we'll step into eternity and we get to be in his presence. And here's the beauty of it, is that hard stuff, we get to make that all about him. And he's there with us even in that. And we get to use that hard stuff in order to tell other people about him so that maybe they can join us in eternity. That's the beautiful part about the hard stuff that Jesus is is asking us to walk through and telling us will be our life. The peace that God offers is about getting our eyes off of ourselves and our circumstances and on Him and realizing that the cares of this world, they pale in comparison to eternity. They don't even hold a candle to eternity. It's this concept which allows Paul to pray over the Christians in Thessalonica, 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation the lord be with you all now when you have this mindset it's it's easier to pray this because paul who experienced worse things than any of us will ever ever experience he obtained this peace that said it doesn't matter if i'm sitting in a prison it doesn't matter if i'm speaking to the caesar I have a peace because I know my life is all about Him. He even at one point says, eh, I don't, I'm not even sure if I want to live or die. And that wasn't even an unhealthy thing for him to say. He said, well, to live is Christ, but to die is gain because I get to step into this eternity that I long for and look forward to. He knew eternity was this beautiful thing and so every, anything this life had to offer, he thought, is totally worth it. When our hope, our faith, our joy are found in God and His promise of eternity. Nothing this life throws at us can rob us of our peace. The world can offer its worst to us and we still have a peace knowing, yeah, this is really rough. and doesn't mean we ignore what's happening around us and, and deal with everything nonchalantly. It doesn't mean that when a loved one dies, we go, oh, no big deal. That's not what this is saying. It's saying, yeah, we can hurt, we can feel, we can suffer, but yet we can still find a peace in the midst of that. It gives new perspective to Scripture like Psalm 118.6. It says, the Lord is for me, so I will have no fear, What can mere people do to me? Now, again, I've heard this verse used incorrectly. When, I don't know, when someone's against a Christian and and they'll use this verse like, oh, you don't have to worry about it. That person can't do anything to you because God is for you. Now, David was very aware that man could hurt him and even kill him. He, He was under no impression that because he loved God that he was invincible and nobody could touch him. He wasn't saying that man couldn't touch him. That's not what this verse is saying. He was pointing out that the worst that man could do can only affect his mortal body on this side of heaven. There is literally nothing the enemy can do that can affect us in eternity. It can only hurt us here. That's what David is saying. He's like, well, what can man do? They can mess up my life here. This is nothing. I'm under God's protection on this side of heaven even And he's going to watch over me and he's not going to allow you to do anything that he doesn't permit anyhow. I mean, Job didn't have this mindset that nobody and nothing could touch him. Even when he experienced the hardship on this life, he still maintained that God was good. Which, with an eternal perspective, views this life as such a short period of time. And some of you have experienced a lot more life than I have. And even still, if God were to give you a thousand more years of life, it would still be so short in comparison. James 4.14 says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. We'll probably understand this verse a little better after we've been in eternity for a couple million years. And we realize, man, I, I really thought that 96 years of life I had was, whew, it was stretching on. But man, it was like that. It was like nothing. I think of, even when I was mentioning this morning, this 2021 felt like it just started and it's already over. It's a whole year. But this life is so short, like a fog that appears in the morning and then is gone, like it never existed. When we truly realize, how short life is and that it'll be over before we know it, how important it is to have an eternal perspective. I don't know how, how much time we'll have to process this life before we stand before Christ, but I can just imagine and try to imagine yourself standing, stepping into eternity and thinking back to your life and wondering, what will I have wished I did more of? I can almost guarantee you working more, Doing more hobby stuff won't be what comes to mind. As you stand before Christ and as you encounter His glory and His goodness and His love, I, I think, I know, I'll wish, man, I wish I had just talked to one more person about Him. I wish I had told just a few more people of His goodness. I wish I hadn't, hadn't chickened out in that one opportunity I had and, or that coworker or my neighbor. I wish I would have spoken up more because they needed to know about him, about his goodness, about eternity, about the good news. We have an opportunity to bring the good news of peace to those without peace. Now, many of you are believers. You have the peace of Christ in your heart. But some of you, maybe you got saved a little later in life, you know what it's like to not have that peace. To experience death, of a loved one, of people you know who have absolutely no peace. Have you ever been to one of those funerals where there was no hope, there was no peace? Man, it's one of the most depressing things I've ever experienced in my life is to be at a funeral where nobody in the room or very few believed in God. There was just nothing. To them, it was just over. There are so many people that you have relationships with that you have access to that nobody's telling them. You might think, oh, they, they know about Jesus. Nobody's telling them about the good news of Jesus. And you have an opportunity to take this good news of peace to them, to offer peace to those who are peaceless, to those whose whole existence is wrapped up in what happens in this life. Man, if, if every hope if every bit of peace and joy and happiness that you could possibly experience was completely based on what happens on this side of heaven, you'd be miserable too. You think of those people who don't know Jesus that you have relationships with or you have access to and you think, man, they're just such a miserable person. Rightfully so. They don't have the peace of Christ. And you have an opportunity to love them beyond their miserableness or whatever else they have going on the junk of this life and offer them the peace that only God can offer. What an amazing opportunity we have to tell those who are lost in the darkness of this world, there is good news to be found in Jesus Christ. Luke 2.14, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. This is the message of peace that we get to take This life is so short. Take every opportunity you can find to tell every person you can a simple truth this Christmas season. Isaiah 9-6. Memorize this if you have to. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Our faith, our hope, Our joy and our peace should be found in no one other than Jesus. And this Christmas time, people will talk about Jesus with you. They're more open than any other time of the year to talk about God. Even Easter, people aren't as open to talk about God as they are during Christmas. Walls are down. Opportunities abound. Ask God, who would you send me to? Who could I have a conversation with about you? And trust that the Holy Spirit will give you words in that moment to speak about Him. And you have an amazing opportunities will happen. This week, if you ask God, wake up every morning and say, okay, Lord, who's it gonna be today? Who do you have for me that I get to share this good news to? When you hear somebody speaking bad news, complaining or just talking about how hard things are, whatever, you have an opportunity to tell them about the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that somebody took the opportunity with me to speak good news to my bad news because I had a lot of bad news in my life. Life was miserable and it didn't have any hope of getting any better from what I saw around me. And though I had heard about Jesus and I had heard people talk about you, it was somebody who had a little bit of a relationship with me that took the opportunity to speak specific good news to my specific bad news. And it changed my life. Lord, I I pray for each person in this room today that you would overwhelm them with your peace today. That they would be overcome by the peace that only you offer. And they would be reminded of how important it is that we... Go and tell other people about this good news. And that this week we would have an eternal mindset, a a kingdom mindset that would be solely focused on your kingdom and not ours. And you would give us opportunity to speak good news to people's bad news this week. Good news of peace, good news of joy, good news of hope, good news of faith. Because when it's found in you, it changes everything. Lord, would we be a part of changing someone's life for eternity this Christmas. Bless us this week as we engage with family, as we engage with friends and coworkers and everybody else around this Christmas season. I pray you would give us opportunity to talk about you. Give us the boldness we need to talk about you. And Holy Spirit, come alive in our hearts and speak through us this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I hope to see you all back 5 o'clock today for our Christmas party.